Here we are this morning, alive and breathing. Uh, so this morning for everyone as well, I'm going to give a few special directions because uh, I'm going to open up a really lovely biblical uh, topic this morning, and it has to do with food, and just a warning that you probably will leave hungry today. So if you didn't have breakfast, I'm going to be talking about food a lot, so if you, did, if you didn't have breakfast, sorry, you're going to be rumbling through this morning. But food in the Bible um, oftentimes awakens and evokes our imagination for God. And if you haven't sort of read this theme, go ahead and read through the Psalms, read through the whole scriptures. Every once in a while, and it comes regularly, you'll hear someone saying, um, taste and see that the Lord is good. And they'll be using this culinary metaphor, this, this food metaphor to awaken our hearts to God's presence in our life. And food's a very powerful thing, a very powerful thing in that way for good. But food can also be a very powerful thing for evil, in the hands of those who would withhold food or um, withhold resources for people. And so this morning, I'm just going to take this opportunity before I jump into the scriptures to say that as I talk about food this morning, if you at all leave today feeling like, you know what, I don't really have access to nutritious, good food in my life. If, if food is something that is a scarce thing for me or if I'm struggling right now with food, some of you, I don't know, might leave with that distinct takeaway. Um, make yourselves known. Um, this is, um, this, this is a, a very uh, awful thing when people can get into a, a position in life where they don't have enough, where they're just eking by. And this is a community, friends. So, um, I, and I think that for grassroots, for this particular community, like food is one of our superpowers. Okay, go with me in this. Food is one of our superpowers, and it's one of our greatest strengths, which is also can be one of our greatest weaknesses sometimes as well. Like this community, if you're in it long enough, you'll recognize that for every five people, there's six opinions about food. You can let that set in for a second. <laughs> um, if you haven't been part of a meal train here at Grassroots, uh, giving food to people in need or receiving food in times of crisis, you're missing out on one of the most beautiful aspects of this community. Um, there, there, there isn't a month that goes by when I, I think that there's, don't think there's a meal train being given to someone uh, in the community. And that's, a meal train is when uh, you go through a crisis, a time of pain or suffering, or if there's something like a baby being born, a joyful time and you need some food, folks will gather together and start this online train where they'll sign up to give you food um, every night. And uh, the greatest, I mean, the easiest way to get part of this is to be part of a home group in the community. I mean, the home groups they get to know each other and uh, these meal trains just sort of rise up naturally. So, uh, it's part of our, our heart here at the grassroots to shelter people in vulnerable spots. So uh, if you are in need today of a meal train or in need of someone to sit down with you and help you have access to food, you know, the social programs, this community is very powerful in meeting those needs. And so um, don't be shy with that and uh, look for opportunities to, to come up. But food is powerful. Food is a powerful thing. Um, it's, it can be a great, a great source of awakening in our hearts to the presence of God, but it can also be a great idol. If food becomes the thing which we uh, cling on to, our, our food becomes our identity. The way that we eat or the way that we cook, it becomes our identity. It can become a great idol and, and take us away from God. 
So this morning, as we um, enter into more on the life of prayer, I'm going to dive deep into these, these topics. Um, so I don't know about you, but when I start to lose it in life, when I kind of get into ruts, when I start to kind of come unhinged, the first thing that goes in my life is my meals. I either don't eat or I put together something that might look like that. <laughs> this is like um, the ruts, this is, my, this is what the ruts of my life look like. Um, and that's just going in. I mean, the words, the words that, um, that can describe the, the ruts of this life. I mean, think, think about these, these food words, bland, watery, fried, oily, squishy, heavy, stale, and it gets worse. Rancid, acrid, off, rank, spoiled. <laughs> I mean, see the, the underbelly, so to speak, of, of food. But think of how delicious meals can be. And when we get into delicious meals, how they can awaken something in us. And how when we eat delicious meals, it connects to the, the, the place in our heart that needs the most healing. Uh, if we are spiritually healthy, I believe we're going to be eating well. We're going to be taking the time to put together tastes and colors. And we're going to be taking the time to, to make them fresh. And so think about the words. Sharp, tart, savory, delicious, tasty. Salty, creamy, crunchy, sweet, honeyed, caramelized, seasoned, spicy, I'm going to keep going, juicy, succulent, full-bodied, syrupy, tangy, tart, zesty, buttery, chocolatey, cinnamony, fizzy, roasted, rich, and the only word that tops them all, bacon. <laughs> See, your mouths are watering, hopefully, by now. I mean... Food can be such a source of pain, but it can be also such a source of joy and delight. And it's no wonder, oh, I've got one other slide. Uh, the, the most delicious meal I've had in the last three years happened in the last six months. This is a Thai restaurant my, my daughter Claire and I went to um, in um, Toronto, she had gone through some really awful kind of tests diagnosing her for an issue she has down at Sick Kids. And the only right solution to that was to go out and spend a feast of a meal together. And uh, I took her out of the picture because I appreciate it. She'd probably want me to. Um, but, oh, look at, look at these dishes. Like this beef dish, uh, it was like, I, it was like the, I, I can't even have, there's no word to describe it. It's just like the beef just melted like butter on my tongue. It was so delicious. And this uh, pineapple drink, I mean, it was um, wonderful. And it, in our lives, when it comes to food, I'll just take one more minute on just food, not as a metaphor, but we should be regularly, as spiritual people, thankful for anything we get. If it's, if it's a bowl of rice, if, if we have any sort of food, if it's that mushy meal at the beginning, there's a thankfulness that emerges out of a spiritually mature person that we have anything. And if we're griping over food regularly, our, our simple everyday meals, I think there's some spiritual work to be done. But sometimes, friends, we need a feast. Sometimes in our life we need a feast to awaken something in us for healing. Uh, the best way the psalmists can describe this is this. My soul is satisfied with you, God, as with the richest of food. I will praise you with songs of joy. And the psalmist here is just recognizing that 
even better than this, the greatest of food is my, is my sense of being satisfied with your love, God. And here's how we're emerging into the life of prayer. First Peter, I just wanted to grab this because it's such a powerful little snippet out of First Peter. Therefore, Peter says, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. See, he's trying to teach his, his uh, young, young Christians or Christians caught up in sinful lifestyles how to get out of that. He's going to say, I'm going to awaken that and teach you about that through the metaphor of food. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's a metaphor. Taste the Lord is good. You can't just know the Lord is good because I come up to you and shake you and say, the Lord is good. You should know it. You have to experience it. You have to experience just how good it tastes to know down deep inside the tremendous love of God. So, food. And when it comes to the life of the spiritual life, how do we do that? How do we get ourselves to start tasting that the Lord is good? Especially if we've gone through so many experiences in our life that might try to convince us of the opposite. And the only way to really taste God like this through prayer, uh, is if we have a couple things in our life, meditation and contemplation. They're the different parts of prayer in which we begin to taste God and experience him firsthand, where it's not just about coming and bringing our needs to him, where we're not just using him, and where we're not just coming, expecting him to be Santa Claus to us. We're coming to experience him and make contact with him. And so for the next uh, little while here, next couple weeks, I'm going to be diving into this experience of Tasting God, making contact with God, knowing how rich he is. And so uh, the words we use for this are meditation, which leads to contemplation. They're big, Christian-y kind of words, and I'm going to unpack them for us. So to get there, though, um, I'm not going to dive into the Psalms just quite yet. I'm going to pan out like a video camera at the, the, the widest angle we can get on Scripture this morning and talk a little bit about Genesis 1 the very first chapter in the Bible, and Revelation 21, one of the last chapters in the Bible. And this will help us understand uh, that the, the, whole, the whole story of salvation, the whole story of creation, has always been about and always will be about humans in a world of delightful tastes, making contact with the living God. So let's, let's go back here to, to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1 and 2. So here we are. This is the beginning. This is the story which begins the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth at that time was formless and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. These are the evocative words of Genesis chapter 1. And by the end of the seventh day, fast forward a little bit, you get this creation full of every kind of fruit and animal and uh, a flower and plant that you could possibly imagine, way more. I don't know about you, sometimes I get on my, my Facebook account and see some folks really post cool things about creation. And it's like there's new fish being found for the first time. And it's like still today, how many, many uh, years later are we still finding new cre creatures? Uh, this, God created this whole world full of so many things and so many tastes. Um, and you have Adam and Eve, the first humans, ruling over this creation, taking care of it, and uh, being told this. God blessed them. He blessed 
his creatures and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and honor and care for it. That's their job. That's why they were set there. And then God said, here, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be your food. Sorry for the English. They will be your food. Um, So I don't know if you know that, but uh, God intended Adam and Eve to be completely fed by fruit. (laughs) A fruit diet. Fruit, maybe a fruit and veggie diet. Uh, there, there was all sorts of animals around, but the enmity hadn't existed yet in the fallenness of creation, and human beings were going to be able to eat every kind of fruit from the tree. And you can imagine with the kind of taste, if you've had great fruit, fresh fruit, or been to a country in Southeast Asia somewhere where uh, there's more fruit than you could ever imagine, and tasted great fruit, imagine what kind of delights this Garden of Eden was filled with. But this is not just a delicious garden of delightful tastes. That, it's that. That's what creation is. To awaken in Adam and Eve, perhaps, or to keep, keep awake a sense of mystery in God's presence. But it's also a temple. I like that painting of Eden. It's also a temple. At the very end of creation, God sits down and uh, rests. This is the image of God, a deity, coming into his temple. He's just created his worldwide temple, and he now, his presence is within it. He's not an an idol. He's an actual living God living within this temple. And so we see that originally in the created order. We have men and women, human beings in a garden of delight, making contact with God. But then they eat something. They eat out of the one tree of the whole garden they're not supposed to, and everything goes to hell. Um, I didn't put that verse in. Everything goes to hell. Uh, And here's what happens after they eat that fruit. Their eyes are opened. They recognize their, their, their dependency, their nakedness. They cover themselves up and they hide themselves from God. They, the scriptures say they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid themselves behind a tree. Have ears. Listen to what's going on. This is rich scriptural language. First of all, notice that God was apparent enough that if to hide from God, you have to get behind a tree. Think of that. I mean, sometimes you think of God as spirit, invisible. That's not how he was at that point. He was walking apparently visible because they thought a tree would hide them from him. So there he was, his presence. They were in contact with God. Well, in this sense, they were out of contact, hiding behind a tree. And they were hiding behind the very food source that they were supposed to have been given. I mean, this is the beginning of idolatry. The very thing which was meant for their delight, they hide from God behind. The very origins of our problem in all the universe It's not a hidden God who hides himself. It's we who hide ourselves from him first. And I I bet, I bet that if we struggle with the fact that God is a hidden God at this point in creation, that he chooses to hide himself in order to woo us back in, that he's got something in mind that recognizes if I just show myself completely before them, it's not going to go well. They'll turn against me. So he hides himself and he woos. But if we struggle with a God who hides himself... Remember that the story is that we are a community who has hidden ourselves first from God. 
We have to, we have to think about that as we struggle through these things. Um, so here we are at the end of um, the, the, the brokenness of Eden with humans hiding, hiding themselves from God behind their food. Now fast forward to the end of the story, okay? I mean, the point here is all this. God, God originally was in fellowship with humans in a way that they made contact with him in a garden of delight. So fast forward to the end of the story, Revelation 21. Um, there's this beautiful city in which um, God's very presence lives. The scriptures in Revelation talk about uh, the Lord taking his seat once again, finally among them, just like he was in Eden, walking in the new Jerusalem in the cool of the day, we might say. There's no need of a temple there because God is their temple. God is with them. Uh, and he will be his, with his people. This is, this is the future. This is the resolution. This is the resolution in which there'll be no more pain or crying or tears. And then in this, in this one little snippet, in this one little flash of light, we get this image of a river coming through that city with trees on each side bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit in every month. This is a fruit tree, a city of fruit trees that every month is going to bear fruit. How long does it take to get an orange off a tree? I don't know. I'm not an orangist. It's going to, every month, new fruit coming. And that's going to be, it's going to be a garden of delight. But its leaves are also for the healing of the nations. I love this. It's, it's, Fruit are not only going to be what we look forward to, but it's leaves. Now, when everything is said and done and we're in the new creation and there's no evil in the world and we have a final release from pain, why, why, why would we need to be healed? Ask that question to that text. What are we going to be healed from? Our bodies will be healed. What's, what's left? I think it has something to do with our memories. The memory of living in this broken and fallen age. I think, I think this is opening our idea to the fact that it's going to take some time to be healed from what we've gone through, but there'll be something there and it will be a leaf, a vegetable, for all you veggie lovers, a vegetable that will heal us somehow, medicinally, spiritually. So here you have at the beginning and the end of the whole story, a God of a garden, a God of delight, of food, of delicious food, not awful food, but delicious food, who's making contact with his people. And that's our story. That's, that's the bookends of our story. That's how it begins and ends. And so as we, as we go about living this story, uh, we, have to, we have to take these things into account. But then rewind to the very middle. Uh, and literally, the middle of the Bible is the Psalms, if you didn't know that. If you, if you rewind back to, oh, more Revelation verses. Yeah. Um, we'll go back to David. I already talked about that. Rewind back into the middle of the storyline. David, in the middle of creation, way, way past the Garden of Eden, but nowhere close yet to the new creation. Here you have David praying. We'll get back to him now. And David links up both of these um, imageries. Um, both, both of this, I mean, he's... he's our master, so to speak, our master in making contact with God in this part of the story where he's not palpably with us, where he's not with us in the way he has been or will be, but yet we still can make contact with him. That's the great prayer tradition. That's what it's all about. It's, it's the storyline in which prayer fits. And this is David who's become a master at this. And he's going to, every once in a while, he's going to evoke those taste buds 
is going to start them watering to help us recognize that God is with us and close, and he's very satisfying. So let's open up Psalm 34 as we veer to the end here. Psalm 34. Uh, he begins with these building blocks. So if we're talking about the building blocks of prayer, I'm going to spend some weeks in the, in the coming weeks on the building blocks of the things we say and how we put together our hearts and our thoughts in, in the life of prayer. But here he is. He's, he, the first two building blocks he uses, he's going to promise God to praise him no matter what. God, uh, I will praise you no matter what I go through. And if you've gone through hell and back, friends, you know how hard of a thing this is to say. And David had. But then he's also going to give a testimony of being rescued by God. That's going to be part of his prayer. God answered me. He delivered me from all of my sins, all my trouble. So here we go. here's the first line. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will ever be on my lips. Extol just means to speak very uh, magnificently about God, to, to give good words about God. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will ever be on my lips. Um, I sought the Lord. And he answered me. Here's his testimony. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look on him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And he, what I'm inviting you to see here, friends, is he's, he's, in, he's showing us what the contemplative tradition is. He's showing us how in a world full of hell to begin tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And, and those who look on him, those who take a chance to look on him, aren't looking away, aren't hiding behind their trees, those who look on him are radiant. This is an active uh, practice. Their faces are never covered with shame. Here he goes. Taste, friends. Taste, really taste, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, holies, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. So Psalm 34, one of the greatest one, ones that lead us into this idea of meditation and, and contemplation. And so as I've been teaching about the life of prayer... And, and how to get into it. Uh, I'm inviting us to take some time to warm up. We begin by warming up. We need a warm-up phase in prayer. If, if, you, if you need to begin doing this, if you need to figure this out, my friends, uh, I invite you to, to, to do so. Uh, we can't just jump in. We have to warm up, take some deep breaths, invite God into our pain, be sincere, tell him exactly how we feel, no matter how that is. But then we learn the building blocks of kingdom praying, and we'll, we'll get into that. But here, I'm going to talk today a little bit about this. Meditate as a way to learn and as a way to make connection with God and expect to make contact with God. These are parts of prayer that I think that some of us never have been taught in. Some of us never have known how to engage. They never know how to get to that place where they're taking a little bit of Scripture and they're taking all of their energy and peering upon it. And as they do so, they're entering into a phase of prayer and experience where it becomes a, a resting where it's, it's not active but passive, and where we begin tasting things. It's, this is a very difficult type of phase to describe. If you read any of the greats, they're going to give you metaphor after metaphor. There's no words to describe. But then they come, in, they come back out of this type of prayer. They say it's hard work, and sometimes there's very little fruit from it in terms of actual making contact with God. But they come out saying things like, my soul was lit on fire. And that's, that's to me what, what David, when he begins talking like that, we, we start to listen. Now, and why don't we do this? Well, so I've asked my, myself, why don't I more take this full-orbed structure of praying and make it a part of my life? Like, well, why, do I, why do I sometimes just rush into prayer, throw up on God, and be done with it? 
Why don't I take the time? Well, I think part of it is just because there's so much pressure in life. So many things to do, so many, so many responsibilities. And I'm just, at the end of the day, tired. I just flop on my couch and I have no energy left to do all of this. And I ask myself, okay, fine. If that's all I have, then fine. But what really then am I building my life around? Why am I not scheduling the best parts of my day around something like this? It's a hard question. I, ask that my, I need to ask that myself. What are we building our lives around? So here we go. Look on him. Taste and see. Meditation and contemplation. Meditation. Meditation is like a deep fixing our eyes on the mysteries of God. I'm going to teach you about this today. It's uh, words like savoring. All the culinary languages, language comes back. Savor, adore, you know God by love. And the way you do this is you pick a topic, a scripture, a story, a seemingly mundane experience, a memory, a current event, and you try to hold this at your attention. It's, it's really good if it's scripture. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about one line, like a sentence. If you sit down, give yourself 20 minutes, and spend five or six, ten minutes thinking as deeply as possible. It's almost like you're treating it like a window. As deeply as possible. If you take a scripture story, for example, I don't know, let's pick one. Um, the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. And the little line which says, go and do likewise at the end. I might pick the go and do likewise. What I might do is I might try to imagine myself as someone in the story, as the good Samaritan. I might think of myself as the person who's been beat up. I might think of myself as the people who take no notice of those who've been beat up by society. Pick, pick one. Get into the story and try as much as possible to imagine yourself there, imagine yourself within the story, and start to peer and think, peer deeply. Another way to do this, if you don't want to do a story, is a topic. Like if you want to think about the mystery of God becoming human in Jesus, you might go to the beginning of Jesus' story and look, look on um, the, the story of Jesus being born in a stable. And you might look at the stable and you might think, there's something hitting me about the stable. I'm going to meditate on it. Meditation is not emptying. It's not trying to, to lose ourselves Meditation is taking God's truth and peering into them. Sometimes you might not have scripture around you and you might need to meditate on the baby that you're holding or the harsh memory that you can't stop replaying in your mind. Friends, I think sometimes those people who get most discouraged in this form of praying are people who don't realize that if you have your memory tape playing over and over again on a painful experience, God's saying, I want you to meditate on this. Think about this. Find my presence in this painful memory. And so sometimes we sit back and we replay over and over again thinking that it's just about uh, us not being able to get out of a bad memory. But there's a redemptive possibility if we turn that memory into meditation. A current event. Uh, I read an author once that talked about meditation and thought about the, the, um, the folks in, uh, in Germany during World War II who never took notice um, of the horrors that were happening around them. Or ne we, never, we're not, we don't take seriously the horrors of the things that are happening today. We can meditate upon them, find God's presence in them, or pray God's presence into them. We have to be careful because the news slants current events today, so we've got to be careful not to enter into current events through other people's slant. 
But if we don't take seriously the horrors of today, we don't have no idea what incarnation means. The fact that God lives in this world and wants this world to be redeemed, not only our life. Scripture is powerful, but memories, uh, even our own death. Sometimes I sit down, I can't stop thinking morbidly about the fact that I'm going to die. And maybe it's going to be soon. I don't know about you, sometimes I get lost in those thoughts. I've learned to turn them into meditation. Um, if, we, if, if you haven't thought about your own death, friends, in a long time, um, <laughs> it's, now's the time. Uh, it puts us into a reminder that we are frail and fragile and dependent upon God. And try to hold this at your attention. And we don't just do this because we don't want to get transfixed on a thought or idea or story. We do this because we're taught by the great tradition that to taste God and to see him, we need something like a window through, an everyday window or a scripture to, through which we experience God's very presence in our life. We think about God in order to get into tasting and seeing that he is good. And so we get into contemplation. And contemplation becomes passive. That's the key to contemplation. That's the difference. In meditation, we, we take our analytic minds that, that focus on something and we let go as if we're just floating on a lazy river. And the point of this, again, is not to lose ourselves, And it's not about ourselves, really. It's just a phase in prayer that many of us miss in which we come to taste God and to really feel the stirrings of his presence in our hearts and our lives. And friends, I invite you to learn this. I invite you to learn how to do this through meditation in the contemplation, uh, words that give uh, meaning to contemplation. Passive rest in the currents of God's love, a secret and peaceful inflow of God's love, a feel of longing. Now, contemplation doesn't result in euphoria every time. (laughs) This doesn't happen every time. And it takes work. And God just doesn't doesn't, um, doesn't, uh, come out of hiding easily. For our own sake, usually. Um, people, the, the greats who, who go into this say that it's full of aridity and full of times of dryness and confusion. But if we give ourselves to it, and we as everyday people can do it, if we give ourselves to this passive phase of praying, we begin to feel stirrings inside of us. Things which we can't explain and can't experience. And when I was in my recent phase of contemplation, um, what happened to me was this. I was floating along. I was letting myself be passive as possible, just floating along silently, not letting any sort of thoughts dominate my mind. I got this striking feeling out of nowhere of God's compassion on me. I, I normally walk through life with a very high expectation of myself. Um, I can give other people lots of grace, but I can't give myself grace. I don't know if you feel that way or if you're like that. But I'm always so wound tightly about keeping myself convinced of my worth. That's my natural posture. And out of nowhere, I just felt this. Keith, I, I know what you're, go through, you're going through, and I'm sorry, and that's hard. That's, that's a very unusual thing for me to receive from God. And I can even give words to it. It was like, I understood for the first time again the compassion he has, the real compassion he has on me. He's not aloof. He knows me and loves me. These are stupid, simple words to give expression to what I was feeling then. I'm going to keep talking about this next week because St. Paul teaches us more about how to get into this passive phase of prayer into contemplation. Um, But what it results in, it results in this opening inside of us, this feeling of praise 
um, if we have to have any activity there, it's praise of our lover, uh, a feeling of longing for God. In it, we find self-knowledge, we find humility, and there's peaceful attentiveness to God inside of it. I'll give you a little more teaching next week on this. Um, but I wanted to give you guys some ex- space, some experience now. I mean, we have two more songs to play. Um, and uh, they are really spaces in which uh, we have a chance to practice approaching God as a community. It's sometimes easier to do it as a group. So I would invite you, whether you want to sit down. I know Matt oftentimes says, stand if you can. And great, if you want to stand. But um, if you need to sit down, do what you need to do. And I invite you to try. Um, try picking a word or a phrase from a song that really stands out to you. And take a moment in your chair, standing or kneeling or whatever, to peer through that and to try to be passive as possible within these words. And see if you can receive anything from God through them. Um, I suspect that the key to doing this is already in your heart. Something that you've already begun thinking or already begun doing. So go with it. Trust yourself. Trust your instincts. Um, Whether you feel like it's going to be anger or it's going to be lovingly blissful, go go for it. Uh, Jesus tells us every week to come and to to take a piece of bread and to dip it into some juice. See where where we began today and where we're ending. It's not for nothing Jesus wanted to awaken us to his love for us through a meal through our taste. Because from the beginning to the end to the very middle of the story, it's all about food, friends, that awakens us. So come, let this be a portal into an awareness of God in your life. Take a piece of bread, dip it. Do this in memory of me. I've shed my blood. I've given my body for you. I love you. Can you hear it? Can you, can you let that into your defenses? I love you. That's what this is about. Take a piece of bread, dip it in, and uh, give yourself once again to the living God. So friends, the table is set, and everyone here is welcome.